Hey there, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people from Saskatchewan. For this episode, we're chatting with Andy Chung about how being a second-generation immigrant has shaped him as a person and a small business owner. Let's get into it. Okay, we've reached the midway point of season six of the What Connects Us podcast, and we're truly taking the top off with this episode as we welcome one of Regina's most well-known entrepreneurs and barbers, Andy Chung. Saskatchewan welcomes approximately 15,000 immigrants into the province per year, and Andy's parents came to Saskatchewan from Taiwan just before he was born. Andy will share with us what it was like to grow up in the intersection of cultural and westernized values and the unique perspective he's drawn from it that he's been able to pass on as a father, a barber, and a small business owner. Plus, Andy will share with us all about his story about pivoting from post-secondary education to follow his passion of haircutting and how he's been able to become a very successful barber and open his own business, Canvas Hair Studio. We also talk about how barbers have made a quiet resurgence in a highly genderized industry and how Andy's approach to customer service has helped him build passionate ambassadors for his work across the city. This conversation, it's so interesting because it truly strips down assumptions of what you think you know about being a second generation immigrant. Andy has been my barber for six years now. And he's always had a cool and a calm demeanor, and that comes across in this interview. He also has this great way of simplifying his key learnings, but then he'll hit you with this key nugget of perspective you never even thought of before. So let's waste no more time and start buzzing. What connects it to Andy? Let's find out. Andy Chung, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mason. This is actually really interesting. Typically, I see you every three and a half weeks. I'm chilling in your chair and we're having a conversation through this. Oh, this is crazy. Yeah, this is like the reverse. The roles are reversed now. You're in my chair now. I'm controlling the conversation. This will be great. Okay, so before we get started, I just want to warn the audience about something. So one of the last times that I was in the chair with you, you were playing music and Alanis Morissette came on and you had no idea who she was. And I was absolutely mortified with you so this invitation on the podcast is just a way for me to put you on trial oh no <laughs> your day of reckoning is here people are going to be boycotting the store tomorrow <laughs> so to get started let's jump in with a quick introduction tell me who is andy chung give me a little bit more background so we can better understand your story well um i'm andy chung i'm a barber i own canvas hair studio i have two children i have a fiance um born and raised in regina I'm a second generation immigrant. Yeah. My parents came from uh, Taiwan. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your parents and what brought them to Regina. You know what? This is actually really interesting. I, I had to kind of quiz my parents and get a little refresh on this the other day. But my old my oldest aunt lived here. Okay. She worked at the library and eventually sponsored my parents to come here. Um, and so I was born the year they moved here. Yeah. My brothers were born in Taiwan. Uh, they came in 93. And they... Yeah, they owned a, they kind of owned like a food stall slash restaurant back in Asia. Yep. And then when they came here, they kind of hung out for a few years and eventually opened a restaurant. And so they've been, they've been there since 97. Wow. Still, still open today. So your brothers, they had um, them in Taiwan and then um, you were born here in Regina. Is that exactly. correct? Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit about what they do now here in Regina. So my parents, yeah, they, they started Four Seas Restaurant on uh, Rose Street right by the casino. Yep. They started that in 97. So they like it's it's actually pretty wild like that whole block was surrounded by buildings like big buildings and a lot of them became vacant army navy was there before and yep. that's all since been torn down so they're like one of probably two buildings left there that's crazy like i we were there every day as children like i was up until i started 
like really cutting hair. Yeah. I was there every day. Like you went there after school, you were, and you were just there till nine o'clock at night every right. day. And so we we just hung out downtown. Like yeah. it was crazy. Tell me like what a typical day for your parents would look like. I think these days they're up around like six or seven. My mom doesn't sleep much. She's, she's just like okay. an overthinker, and that's where I get it from. Sure. And she just doesn't sleep, so she's up like five or six. Okay. And then they go to they'll hit like superstore, they'll hit wholesale club. Um, they'll probably go for breakfast somewhere nowadays. I think it's Tim Hortons right behind the restaurant. Sure. So they'll go there for a quick coffee and then they start their day and yeah. they're there. I think they start around like 10, 30, 11 is when they open. Yep. And then they shut down for a few hours around two yep. back open at five and they're there until about nine or eight thirty at night. Wow. And that's been like since 97. So with 30, 30 some years. And how many days a week? Right? Uh, Mondays are off. Mondays. Off. Yeah. So six days a week. Yeah. Ooh, that's a grind. Yeah. Um, so Talking about like the came from Taiwan or Taiwan, what? How would you compare and contrast Taiwanese culture with Western Canadian culture? It's 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 different, but it's similar because Taiwan never really received that communist uh, oppression that China got. Mm-hmm. So it's very cultural. Um, and anybody that's traveled to Asia, Taiwan just has a different sense to it. Like it's very relaxed. Mm-hmm. People are very nice. There's a, there's a big sense of community, mm-hmm. just like Regina, right? Like people, you know, everybody kind of a thing. And obviously cool. there's like 24 million people there. So you can't know everybody, but you, within your little geographical area there, right? Yep. You, you kind of know people and you have a person for everything kind of just like, just like it is here in Regina. Right? Oh, that's cool. It's, it's a wild place. Like it's so, I don't think pe- many people know where it is. Like it's below Japan mm-hmm. or above Japan. Oh God, this is terrible. I should know this. <laughs> it's right there. Anyways. Yep. It's small. Like you can fit the island between Regina and Saskatoon. Yeah. And there's, I, I believe it's 24 million people. Yeah. There was a lot of expats that lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I believe it was, at one point it was like uh, Japanese were there, Spanish were there. So there's, a, it's a big microcosm of like different melting pots of things, right? Sure. Um, and it's just super relaxed. There's like world-class surfing there. We had the tallest tower in the world at one point. Okay. Um, Taiwan was a huge manufacturer in uh, computer chips. Yeah. So in the '90s, they were like world renowned for building computer chips. Really, like they were, like they were a big deal. Cool, that's awesome. So you talked about how you were learning languages from watching TV programs. Give me a glimpse into what life was like growing up and how that's how that plays into your story. I think for like myself and perhaps a lot of second generation immigrants, there's this weird idea that you don't want to lose your culture, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you want to assimilate with your fellow peers here in Canada. Yeah. And so you would go to school and it would be very, um, you would try to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. And you do all these, the, you know, quote unquote normal things. Yeah. Um, and then you go home and it's like, you shut that off. Right. But then there's two styles of parenting where some parents would want you to continue that at home because they're worried that you can't catch up at school. Yeah. So they would continue to speak English at home. Wow. But then some parents would say, you know what? No, stop. Like, you're home now. It's 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 Mandarin time or whatever, right? And and that's what you did. And it's so my Mandarin mom, time. luckily, that. my mom doesn't speak English, so I I had to speak Mandarin. Yeah. But like a, a funny story of that is like you'd go to school and we'd have these intricate lunches, so I would just bring leftovers the next day, right? And, yeah. And being in like it was a restaurant, so we had good food. Like yeah. it would be like you know there's flavor, lots of flavor, like strong smells, interesting stuff that most of my classmates had never seen before. Right. So they'd all come up and like try to smell my food and. <laughs> look at you know and it was weird it was terrible yeah but it was such good stuff yeah so i look around and people have like you know basic sandwiches yeah. lunchables michelinas right and, <laughs> and peanut butter and j- jelly sandwiches and you have like this flavorful spread oh and it was the worst because i'd go home and i said you guys gotta buy me lunchables like, oh okay. so i'd go and, I, and i'd get lunchables and i'm like this is actually terrible yeah like, this is brutal yeah and then for the first half of 
elementary, I think there's no microwaves. Really? At least, I th- well, I think in Regina, for most part, really? there's no microwaves. Yeah. Interesting. I so think I had microwaves in my small town, but interesting. Yeah. It was it was a lot of, th- and even like thermoses, right? We didn't really, like in, in Asia, like if, if you go to like a market and get a drink, it comes in a bag. Oh. It's a plastic bag with a straw in it. Okay. And it's, it, even for me, it's a weird thing. Yeah. So a lot of times, like you'd literally go to school with like a doggy bag of food. And yeah. And it didn't look appealing, but it did the trick. Right. And so- you know, you try to bring a soup and it, it would be spilling all over your bag. Oh, it's the worst. Ah, that's got to be so hard as a kid where all you want to do is fit in, but you have one culture at home and then you have to adapt to another one at school. So with Mandarin being the primary language at home, was it hard for you to pick up and learn in English when you started going to school? I don't, I don't think English was that hard to learn. Okay. I mean, because you watch like TV, television, right? And, sure. And then I actually went to a French school. Yeah. So French was a little bit tougher because I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just starting to learn English here. And now it's like, whoa, like, yeah. what is this? And totally. I started French in grade two. So that took a while, mm-hmm. but eventually it worked out. Yeah. But you're always slipping the switch. Right. So a funny, so like my, my oldest brother, John, I speak to him in English. Okay. Then my, my middle brother, Wayne, who is 10 years older than me, they're, they're a year apart. Yeah. I speak to him in Mandarin. Wow. But we'll like, we'll text in English, right? So right. It's, it's, it's weird. You're always flipping the switch. So if we're in the same room. I'll I'll talk to John in English, yeah, and I'll turn over and talk to Wayne in Mandarin. Wow, and is that like seamless for you? Like that, do you don't even have to think about it? Seamless, but it would be awkward for me to talk to Wayne in English. I think, yeah. I, and I don't know why. It's just that's just the way it's been. Yeah. So you talk to him in, um, in Mandarin, but you text him in English. Well, I, I can't read or write. Oh, for the record, for the interesting. Record. So, yeah. yeah, and so is he fluent in English? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So why? Would you just all speak the same language? I know that sounds like a dumb question, but I'm I'm curious. I think growing up, it was just who you surround yourself with. Yeah. I think like me and John were more assimilated perhaps, and yeah. Wayne surrounded himself with more Asians. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Certain things, it, it makes sense using Mandarin, and certain things, it makes sense using English. Mm-hmm. But I think over over time now, like with children at home, we, we predominantly speak English. Right. And, but that's something I would like to eventually... Um, instill in them is, is whether or not they speak Mandarin, but at least understand, right? Yeah. Like understand um, the cultural norms and, and carry on the traditions in that sense, right? Yeah. Were there other any like cultural norms that were misaligned, I would guess? Like when you're going to school, you're doing something here and then you're coming home and you're doing something here. What was like cultural norms? How did that play into, a, into that part of your story? There is this conception where you don't want to stick out too much but you still want to be like really involved. Right. So for instance, like if you knew the answer to something, you would put your hand up. Yeah. But then eventually it's okay. Like now just kind of try to coast through and don't be that guy that always has his hand up. Okay. That's not, I don't know if that's just like me or if that's just like a cultural thing, but sure. In in Tokyo drift, fast and furious, (laughs) the nail that sticks up gets hammered. Right. Sure. What was it like to like speak to your parents about like school and all that sort of stuff like did they understand the culture or like was this something that you were educating them on like what what did that kind of look like that's a good question because my parents were so busy right so they were working 24 7 and then my brothers being that they were 10 and 11 years older than me there was quite a bit of a big age gap so i was kind of left to fend for myself quite a bit right not not in some like you know terrible way but just they they would ask, but a lot of times they wouldn't understand what was going on, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of had to just figure it out for yourself. Yeah. So totally. back to your Alana Morissette, it's like, hey, <laughs> nobody was there to play that for me. Like, I, I, I'm still figuring that out today. Sure. Yeah. Did you call her Alana Morissette? Yeah, see, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I love that. Uh, I love how Alanis is just being like, she's like the temperature gauge of how assimilated we are into Canadian culture at the moment. Tell me about money, because I think we had a conversation about that too. Like there's a little bit of a difference between money and how it's perceived between cultures, hey? Money, I think a lot of Asians come from like like nomadic backgrounds. Sure. So when you come into money, it's, it's saving, saving, saving. It's like a huge thing. Yeah. You know, investing is a big hot topic these days. And at least with my family, it's like, no, no, just save your money. Like you don't need to be making these risky investments and stuff like that. Yeah. Just, just save. Yeah. So for instance, like gifts are usually all based around money. Yeah. So birthdays, weddings, you name it, it's all money. And they come in these little red envelopes. I don't know if you've ever seen one. Yeah. It's like a yeah. red, red envelope, right? Right. It's good luck. Yeah. But everything is money. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really funny because like Mother's Day, money. My mom's birthday, money. My my dad's birthday, money. My birthday, money. Kids' birthdays, money. And and you start to realize it, it actually is just like a back and forth. Hundred percent. It, it's like the same amount of money being transferred. Yeah. It, at the end of the year, it balances out. Like yeah. it's like a debits and credits. It's it equals out. True. So then for Kendra, my fiance, she's like, you guys, like you realize, like, like nothing is really exchanged here. It's just like this, <laughs> this. Nothing happens. It's like gifts, at least you get something in return, right? Yeah. But money, you guys are just kind of like giving money, then receiving money, and then giving it back. Right? Totally. Well, that's like when you're looking at Christmas presents and stuff like that. You have people that just exchange gift cards. And they're like, why right. are we just giving each other $20 gift cards, one to Starbucks, one to McDonald's? Now you're just locking in my money in exactly. those different places. But if you go deeper into it, it's like with, with parents, it's like we... They'll, they'll buy us anything or they'll take care of us at a young age. And you never really get booted out of your house at, say, 18, right? Like you, okay. We live at home for a long time, like, if you wanted to. Really? Um, but the idea is that, if you'll think about it in a circle, is that when they're older, you would never boot your parents out and put them in an old folks home. Sure. They're going to live with you. Yeah. So at one point, you, re- you repay the favor to them. Interesting. But in the first half of your life, when you might need the money more and they have excess, yeah. they can help you out sure. within reason, right? Yeah. And then in, in return, and later on, when you have the abundance and they need your help, then you, you help them out. So you're almost like an investment in some ways too yeah. for them. Yeah, which yeah. is cool. My yeah. ROI is great. <laughs> I love that. Um, so one of my favorite conversations I've had with you had to do with the differences in food with culture, especially oh around holidays. Oh no. This is something that you get like like passionate about. So tell me about your- I'm getting, gr- a, I'm getting boycotted tomorrow. <laughs> a lot more set. Oh, and no. now it's cabbage rolls and progies. Tell me about your gripe with them. Holidays for us are, are big because it's it's huge gatherings. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's like Chinese New Year's would be a big deal. And yep. like- um, if you have a child like that, the first, first month or like hundred days after your child is born, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it's the full spread. You got seafood, like every bird you can think of, you yep. know, at the, the whole protein spread is there mm-hmm. and then alcohol, you know, like a nice spread. So then you go to a holiday here, no offense to anyone listening. Um, <laughs> but you get very basic stuff. It's, it's, it's cabbage rolls, pierogies, yeah. um, mashed potatoes, yeah. some more potatoes, <laughs> Some more peas, carrots, you know, yeah. very basic bland stuff. And I realized it was, it was nomadic people that lived here. Right. Yeah. And, and in Asia it was like you, you would utilize the best of the year and you bring it out on that special day. Right. Yeah. You would like almost identify at the start of the year, who is your prized Oh animal. yeah. And that's the one you're going to bring out like this. Yeah. We're going to, I mean, unfortunately we're going to eat you yeah. on this exact date. Sure. But I remember my first time having a progi. Um, this is going to bring out the haters, but uh-huh. I was like, oh wow, like this is a, a, a Canadian dumpling. Yeah. And I bite into it and I think it was more potatoes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh God, like 
where's the meat? Right. Where's, where's the flavor in this thing? Sure. And so I think every culture has a dumpling and they're all very proud of their dumpling. Yeah. You know, like Afghanis have the uh, mantus, right? And then um, East Indians have uh, momos. Sure. But every culture has like their one little dumpling dish and everybody's <laughs> very proud of it. So I might get some angry people at me coming at me after yeah, this. A couple Ukrainians yeah. have turned <laughs> off this podcast right now. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense, though, when you're looking at kind of how s- like celebrations and cultures and, and you said like holidays w- like last long time, like a long time in. Yeah, in. like Chinese New Year's is at least a week long. And, yeah. there's, and there's a lot that goes on with it that I've kind of shunned out. My mom is not too impressed with me sometimes with that stuff. Okay. One thing is that you can't get a haircut that week. Oh, so God. you have to cut your hair before New Year's. Sure. And the superstition behind it is that you don't want to cut away the luck. Okay. You can't sweep your house because you also don't want to sweep away any good fortune that comes your way. So okay. you, so you want to have your house tidy. Like it's logical stuff, right? Clean yeah. your house, tidy up your room. Um, and some of it might have just been to get us to do our chores. But, gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely you can't cut your hair. Like that's a bad one. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of these little things, but it, it's, a, it's a big deal. Yeah. For sure. And people will travel all over Asia. Like, you know, if you think of mainland China, they'll travel all over China to just go back to their hometowns. Yeah. Most people move away, right? Yeah. Just like America or Canada, right? And, and, and they would come back to their hometown villages and then it's it's it's, a, it's the full spread. Yeah. And we've talked about too, just like how hard like this culture works. So this is their time to like kind of kick their feet up a little bit and enjoy like the fruits of their labor. Exactly. Yeah. Makes sense. So you're talking about how in... Um, these holidays, you have these superstitions and how they don't really align to you at the moment because of you're not allowed to cut your hair. So let's talk about barber life for you because you're a barber. How'd you get into haircutting and how did you decide you wanted to be a barber? Oh gosh. Uh, so being that I grew up in the restaurant, I I was just around, we'll call it entrepreneurialism. And so whenever I had an idea to do anything, I would just go ahead and do it. Sure. I I would usually get my dad to fund it a little bit, whether he knew or not. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would just start doing it. So the the first one was like, um, I would buy hair gel from Japan. Okay. And I had, so part of my whole like non-assimilation thing was like I had, I had Asian hair up until grade nine. I had like okay. full bangs, kind of like anime hair, right? Sure. And I was like, you know, I'm not giving up this hair because this is the Asian part of me. Okay. And then I realized one day, I'm like, dude, why am I, why am I doing this? Like, mm-hmm. It's just so much easier to have short hair. All right. So you, let's, let's clarify that. You, you said, I'm going to adapt in so many different ways but my hair is like my tie to my culture. That was one of the things I was like, you know, I don't want to cut my hair off. Like it, this is and nothing dramatic. It was just slightly longer than the average person's hair. Okay. But I had this crazy hair gel from Japan. Yeah. Um, and, and people were like, how'd you get your hair spiked up like that? So I'd start selling hair gel at school. Okay. I'd bring like six or seven pucks of these hair gels with me to school and people would buy them off me. And then, you know, and then there was car air fresheners, which a lot of people knew me for is, I was big into cars and we had these air fresheners also from Japan mm-hmm. and they were, they were squash flavored. So everybody would hear like, what, like a squash flavored air freshener. And they were amazing. Yeah. They were just like a light scent, not too, um, not like those little trees where they're like giving you a headache. Right. Yeah. So very light. And I would sell those. Yeah. And then one day we were, I was in grade 12. We were at a friend's house, my, my friend Ryan's house and my friend Dylan wanted a haircut and, and I never held clippers before. Um, it wasn't even like a thing. It wasn't in my realm at all. But I was I was into fashion. I was into streetwear at the time. Okay. Um, and that would have been around 2011. Mm-hmm. And they looked around the room and said, who's going to cut Dylan's hair? And everybody kind of looked at me. So <laughs> Ryan had a pair of dog trimmers. <laughs> and uh, off we went. And it was awesome. Like, it was so fun. Because yeah. I'm like, wow, this is actually 
took me a while to figure it out, but it, it was good. It was fun and he looked good. How did you learn how to do it on the spot? You just kind of did it? I, think I just did it, yeah. Interesting. So my, like my brothers would cut my hair when I was a child. Okay. And I, and I wanted them to cut my hair rather than go to like the hairdresser because I thought they would make me look better. Uh-huh. Because you look up to your brothers as growing up, For right? Sure, so like, yeah. okay, like they'll make me look better. And, and it was the worst experience ever because you'd be sitting in the bathroom. Yeah. It's cold. There's like sticky hair on you. It's prickly. It's sharp Asian hair. Yeah. And, uh, you're like half crying and you're moving around. They're smacking you because you're moving around. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure looking back at it, they were the worst haircuts ever. Right. Like by far the worst haircuts. But yeah. Um, so I kind of knew how to hold clippers and, you know, stuff like that. Right. So we cut Dylan's hair and it turned out really good. Yeah. That's awesome. So that was the spark. What do you remember after that was done? Me like, this is something I, I kind of want to look into a little bit more. Did you have any other career aspirations that were competing at that moment? Or what did that look like? Well, it was, it was funny because that was right around graduation high school. And so I I had kind of been cutting a little bit of hair at the time and I thought nothing of it. Like it was just like, hey, like, you know, are you you want to you want to cut my hair? And it was not even like like zero business to it at all. It right. was just like strictly for fun. And I didn't have clippers. OK, I would just go to someone's house if they had clippers and I would just use their clippers and nothing sure. like nothing intricate, literally just shaving someone's head. OK. And so I went to university. I did about two and a half years. I was kind of just not there. Like I was, I was going to class partially. I was working at the restaurant. I had another job, I believe, at the same time. Yeah, and just doing a lot of different things. And and one day, um, my fiance's mom, she's a hairdresser, and along with some other people, they're like, you know what, you should like. And I had Instagram just blown up at that point. Right. So I've been posting pictures, and people are like, hey, wow, like that looks nice. And you can learn lots off Instagram and YouTube at the time, right? Yeah. So, um, people are like, you know what, you should like consider cutting hair. Yeah. And so. Kendra's mom bought me a, a, a pair of clippers. She's a hairdresser, right? So she bought me a pair of clippers and finally had some tools. And I said, well, I'm not going to spend money on this if I'm not making money. Yeah. So I think my first like little bit there, I charged like $5 for a haircut. Sure. Just in my parents' basement. And it was just strictly for practice and just for fun, mm-hmm. right? Like it wasn't, I still wasn't really trying to build a business at that point. It was just like, this is, this is fun. And if someone wants to get a haircut, then at least I can buy better tools. Yeah. And this was before you had any sort of training outside of like yeah nothing yeah. and this was like like barbering had just kind of taken place like it was just starting back up again yeah that would have been like 2013 2014 so what do you mean by that how like did it go away for a little bit or what does that look like well so if you think about it like the word barber wasn't around for a while because i, I believe it was the 70s and don't quote me on this but yeah. As we started growing out, you know, the shaggier haircuts and, yeah. and as times got better, people were more inclined to grow their beards out and let their hair grow. Like you didn't have to be that clean shaven guy all the time. Yep. And so barbering kind of died out. And funny enough, the trade actually started out as barbering mm-hmm. later on became hairdressing. Yep. And they got rid of barbering all in total because there was just not enough barbers. Yeah. And then now we're trying to bring back barbering. It's so true. Uh, now that you say it, like, and we'll talk about this, about like the genderization that kind of goes into it as well. It, it has made a resurgence when you take a look at how many people now go to barbers right. compared to like a... Like, like everybody has a barber and, yeah. it, and it, that's awesome. Like yeah. I think that's a great, great thing to have. Totally. Right? But the industry's changed. Like it's, it's no longer like strict barbering versus strict hairdressing, right? So yep. barbers probably would be associated with like shaving, yep. facial hair, right? Right. And then hairdressing would be more with chemicals. So perming hair coloring, et cetera, right? Yeah. But now we're kind of mixing and matching both things together. Yeah. So I'm not a traditionalist barber by any means. I don't do much um, like hot shaves or stuff like that. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm more like I call myself a hybrid because mm-hmm. I like doing it all. It's yeah. it's fun. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't want to confine myself to a set, you know, box of things that I can or can't do. Totally. It's so interesting how up until you were ready to make this a full-time thing that you had no like formal training at this, but you were starting to invest in yourself by charging people for it and then using that to buy equipment to level yourself up. So did you ever go get formal training or was this just all by watching videos and, and, and trying things out? What did that look like for you? Well, so in Saskatchewan, you, you have to get formal training. Like it's, it's a, it's a red seal trade. Sure. So you have to go to school. So yeah. So I was in university. I did a explore program, which is like an exchange program. I went to Quebec city. Okay. And we were there for five weeks and I, and I had actually brought some of my hair stuff with me because we had a big group of us there. I would, I would do a little bit of haircutting there while I was there. Not much, but it just hit me one day. I said, Hey, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not happy in university. I, I failed math three times. Okay. Actually, a funny story. I, I didn't take calculus in high school Okay. because it was in English and I was, I had done French math the whole time from grade two to grade 12. Oh, that's a thing. I didn't know that was so a they, thing. Yeah. All of a sudden you go to calculus and it switches. Oh. And French is it's not the best mathematic language, right? Because the numbers don't flow as well as the English would. Okay. Um, so we get to calculus. I, I, I dropped ideas. I'm not doing this. Okay. So you get to university. And if you haven't taken calculus, you have to take a pre-calculus class. Mm -hmm. So I took that. Yeah. I failed. And this is business. You were in business, I'm assuming? Yeah, like yeah. arts. I Art. hadn't really figured out what I wanted okay, to do yet. Okay, sure. Yeah. So I failed that. And I went and talked to, I believe, the Department of Mathematics. And they let me go into the full calculus class. So I okay. said, you know what? I'm going to try really hard. I just was having a bad year. Mm -hmm. So they put me in 103. Mm -hmm. Of course, I failed that. So okay. Went back, took another 102, and I, and I failed that again. <laughs> um, and I don't know why. Like, it, it, I, I would do good, and all of a sudden, come to the final exam and just, psh, done. Right. See you later. So I had failed in three math classes at that point. I'm like, you know what? And I, I wanted to be an accountant, for the record. Okay. <laughs> so I had failed three math classes, and I said, you know what? This is probably not the best career path for me. Um, and I was getting pretty busy cutting hair at home at yeah. that point. It was starting to grow. There was like strangers coming to my house. Like it had gone kind of weird. Mm -hmm. And so at that point I was like, you know what? Like I'm going to go give this hair thing a try. So we got back in July and I remember going around to all the different hair schools and eventually landing at uh, Richard's beauty college, which is now style Academy. Okay. Fantastic place. Right. Um, I went there and within like three days I'd started class. Mm-hmm. They said, you know, if you can come up with the, the tuition by Monday, you're good to go. And okay. There I was. Monday I was there. And you're like, I just spent $3,000 on three math classes. Like, exactly. I can, I can find some way to scrounge I'll, up this money. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and uh, here we are. Yeah. And so it was great. And and mind you, back then, it, the barbering thing was still pretty new as well. Yeah. So it was predominantly um, longer hairstyles, more female-based stuff that we were doing in school. Yeah. But it was, it was awesome because that stuff can all be applied to men's hairdressing, yeah. men's barbering, right? Yeah, interesting. So you complete your training. What comes next? Like, did you go find a job at a salon or what did that look like? So I was working part-time at a salon during school just to kind of get a feel for the industry. Mm -hmm. And there was um, two of my educators at the school were opening up a salon. Yeah. And so we were talking one day and, and I said, well, where are you guys going to open up? They said, we're opening a place on Rose Street. I said, wait, like, like what block of Rose Street? Mm -hmm. They said, you know, 1700 block Rose Street right by the casino. Yeah. I said, no way. Yeah. Like that's literally next door to my parents' restaurant. Yeah. And so I had to go there. Like there was, there was no question about it. And they were, they were awesome people to work with too. Right. right. So I ended up working there for about two and a half years right out of school. Mm -hmm. And then they were moving to another shop. And I just said, you know what? Like 
the eventual goal is to open a place for myself where I feel really comfortable working. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to move and then move again. Cause every time you move, it's just a huge hassle between, you know, booking systems. Oh, and totally. Yeah. People just, they don't like change. Yeah. And telling your clients like where you're located now, oh, it's, all that's that sort the of worst. stuff. Yeah. Where they find parking, all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah. That's the worst. Totally. So you're there for a couple of years. Tell me what, like what this is like for you. Like you're, you're in the workforce now after all this training, you're starting to build your your name, your brand up, all that sort of stuff. Was this like exhilarating for you? Was it scary? Was it intimidating? What was that like? It's interesting because it, it didn't happen at once, right? So people look now and they're like, oh, wow. But it's like it just slowly, slowly happened. Mm -hmm. And luckily enough, based on the timeline of things, like at first I was living at home. So that was easier to build. It wasn't a huge risk factor. You, yeah. just, you just quit school and just go start something else. Yeah. And then after that was you just slowly getting busier and busier. And as you went to school, you got even busier. And then when I went to the shop, it was like, a lot of people don't want to go to your house. Right. Like, a lot of people, if you don't, if they don't know you, they don't really want to go to your basement and get a haircut. Yeah. And anybody that has been in the basement knows like my killer dog was there. Yeah. There's a little, what's that mean? My Bella, my little Chihuahua pug, my chug. Okay. She, she would see a lot of people, but she hated humans. Oh no. Especially men. And I don't know why. Okay. Hated, like, just hates men. And so she would be like trying to yap at your ankle. I think a couple of people got bit in the ankle by her. Really? And it, it was it was a it was a struggle coming to the basement for a haircut. Yeah, yeah you're like I'm just trying to get a fade, and yeah. you've got like this this creature. Like well, I might gotcha. be I might be walking out on crutches. <laughs> so an actual killer pug was yeah. was at your uh, ankles. That's awesome. So we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I looked up what the percentage was because. I was, I was thinking of my own kind of journey as finding my barber. And I was actually pretty surprised to see that women make up 91% of professional hairdressers slash barbers in North America compared to 9% male. So it's still like pretty imbalanced. What do you think that the reason is behind that? You kind of touched on it a little bit about how barbers kind of went away for a little bit. But can, do you have any other reasoning as to why that imbalance is there? Yeah, like I can't speak for all of North America because in, in the U.S. it's quite different. Like they definitely still have cosmetology and barbering as separate traits. Yeah. Um, but at least here, I, I just think, yeah, it was just part of the trade. Like it previous to when I went to school, there was very minimal training in men's haircutting. Yeah. And there was just no money in it. I think for a lot of men, it was like squeezing them in between coloring services or chemical services and yeah. you know a 20 minute 30 minute haircut get them in and out exactly yeah but as we get into you know the tougher haircuts nowadays more fades and more intricate stuff and if you look around you most men are like much better groomed oh totally it requires more time more mm -hmm. time more tools more expertise and it's just a totally different ball game like just like when i started there was this big resurgence of um barbering as a cool thing it was kind of like like a rock star mentality of like tattoo artists mm -hmm. Um, barber, it all went hand in hand and they liked the, the, the visit to the barbershop. Yeah. And when you, when it first started like 20, we'll call it 2013, I can't speak for everybody, but there was a lot of barbershops where like you could go and sit for walk-ins and that was like a really cool thing, like walk-ins, sit down, have a beer. And, and that was like a, a, a cool thing that nobody really experienced before that. Right. Yeah. But then people started to be like, well, you know what? I, I kind of, I kind of a busy guy. Like I need, I need to go do things. So I can't sit at the barbershop for eight hours and just hang out. Yeah. So then appointment-based barbering became popular and here we are now, right? Yeah. So that's um, interesting. Like I remember, I feel comfortable saying this as a, as a homosexual male, but the stigma around it was that a male who would cut hair was like very flamboyant, works at um, a salon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people listening can kind of understand who like what that stereotype was look like, who I'm trying to describe. And then all of a sudden it was 
much different where where you had like this cool trend in barber shops and people were more comfortable I guess getting their haircut done by another guy like so it's it's weird how it kind of it it slowly made a resurgence to to the point where you didn't really notice it there was a big change there but it did kind of happen in, very quickly yeah like I should say like like I there's a lot of there was barbering the whole time right like but within certain cultural ethnic groups yeah like think of um, African American barbershops in the U.S. Those were uh, very integral and a part of like the community, right? Yep. That's where people went and hung out. A lot of discussions were made there. Yeah, a lot of matters were solved there. Yeah, and uh, I think barbering just became more mainstream, mm-hmm. and so a lot of the Asians usually predominantly have shorter hair because if if our hair grows straight out, so if we yep. leave it too long, it just looks terrible. Right, and so you can alter someone's face shape quite a bit based on their haircut. True, um, and so. Justin Bieber kind of took over. When was that? Like the, the Bieber flow and the hockey oh, yeah. flow. Yeah. And then like the, the hoodie, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that, 2000s. that was a weird, that was a weird time. Yeah. And then we had, um, streetwear pop up, which if anybody has seen that Kanye West documentary yeah. on Netflix there, that's kind of, that was kind of when that started to become more mainstream was right. the influence of like Japanese streetwear, American streetwear all combining together. Yeah. And then the mainstream audience kind of seeing that. Mm hmm. And then that wasn't very long because that got kind of self-destructed itself because everybody started kind of jumping in on that. Yeah. We'll call it the bandwagon. Interesting. But then barbering kind of emerged out of that because people said, you know what? Like I just look better. Yeah. And I feel better. And I like being groomed. You just, you just feel better. Like you feel way better after getting a haircut. Totally. I remember like specifically with in my circle, all of a sudden I had friends that looked much better from a grooming standpoint, from a hair standpoint. And you would just kind of have conversations, be like, "Hey, like this might be a weird question, but who who does your hair?" Right. And all of a sudden, be like, "Oh, his name's Andy Chung, Chung Cuts." Like, all, then all of a sudden, like that kind of rolled into this, I think, brand for you, but also it was like at the start of that kind of curb where everybody started feeling a little bit more comfortable um, having their their hair cut by a man, but also because you could see just how like like tight the fade was, just how good people looked by by having that extra time and care put into their into their cut well it was cool at the time too because instagram had just picked up yeah and so prior to that which i don't remember too much but you'd have to like figure out a haircut based off of google really right Mm -hmm. or you just kind of like spitball a haircut out to your hairdresser yeah and so with instagram you could see the different styles and stuff like that right so um you had so much examples around you for things to do. And there's so much tutorials. Like it was so easy at the time. Yeah. And being that everybody coming in was just a blank canvas. You really had no, there was so much wiggle room. Right. Like anything is better than Bieber flow. Oh, we got honestly. I might get some haters for that too. But <laughs> Part of your role here is, is not only are you making a cut, but you are having like someone in the chair for 45 to an hour and 15 ish on average like you have to have so many like detailed conversations with people. How do you remember everything? Cause this is something that I'm always amazed by you is that it's not like you have a CRM database where you write down like your conversations with people. They, they actually tell you to do that in school. Oh, do they really? They, they like we have all these, yeah, we have, we have our own like softwares and the, you should write down what people get. And so there's, totally. there's actually salons in the U S I'm sorry to cut you off, but there's no. actually salons in the U.S. that, like sports clips, I believe, in the U.S., they, they actually want you to do that. So yeah. you would come in, I'd take your driver's license, and I'd plug in your information. So you can go to any sports clips across America and get the same haircut. Oh, makes sense, yeah. But 
but as that's a franchise. like yeah, yeah, but but you can't like if I say a, a two guard on the sides on Mason, yeah, we don't know where that two guard ends. True. So you could be like you could have a carrot top at one point. Yeah, exactly. And you know that's what that's what's written down. Yeah, and but and not just that, but like details about people's lives too. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, you and they tell you to do that too. Oh, like so and so just had a baby. Like yeah. talk about that next time. It's yeah. like, Well, that's not authentic. Right? Yeah, and like I get why like the customer service and the sales component of that makes sense. But yours, and I could speak to this, like it's so authentic and, and like I, you're not the type of person to go to your laptop after be like, okay, Mason said that he really likes Alanis Morissette, like, or anything like that. I probably should have. You probably, <laughs> cause you would have got her name right. But uh, tell me about how you kind of made that a strength of yours. Were you just natural at that sort of thing? Do you have to kind of work at that? Like what's that look like for you? I've never really thought about it. Like it's just happened. And I, and I think thinking about it right now, I think it's a byproduct of the restaurant. Right. So being that it was a small business and it was the whole family that worked there and we'd have, you know, servers would come and go, but it was just like a little family that all worked there. Yeah. So you have a lot of loyal customers mm-hmm. and a lot of times names are hard to remember. So we, we had a nickname for everybody and it would just be basic nicknames. Like, right. you know, so-and-so with the two kids or so-and-so with the, the gray hair, so-and-so with tattoos. Sure. And, and, as you talk to them, like, cause they come and eat all the time, you just go and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I was there since I was four years old. Mm-hmm. Like I literally learned to ride a bike in the back alley of the restaurant. Really? I, I was, I was, and I would go to EB games to play video games. Yeah. I would walk to the Cornwall center to play video. It was Aww. two blocks away. Yeah. And so we had a nickname for everybody. So you just remember things and it just kind of comes cause you, it's almost like when you're studying for a test and you um, try to associate something with something else yeah. to help you memorize yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's just what that's life. Yeah. Except if it's a math class, it's impossible yeah, to remember that sort of I don't of know stuff, about apparently. math. <laughs> well, see, math is easy until you start adding letters. Yeah. How am I supposed to add B to 2? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. No, that's not math. I've never once talked about the Pythagorean theorem since. No. Yeah. When you remember details, because it's not only are you like focusing on their cut, um, you're doing your work, but you are listening to them speak, you're having a conversation yourself, and it's... It, just feels so seamless for you. Yeah, like I think the conversation, social media helps because you get to see things. Obviously, if someone's True. having a baby, it's like okay, that's yeah. awesome. But like even even with that, a lot of times people will tell me like, "Hey, we're expecting." I'm like, "Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to know that." Right. So I'll forget about it purposely because you know I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. and then I'll and I'll remember like two months later, I'm like, "Oh wow, they're having a baby." Yeah. Dude, I told you that last time I saw you. I'm like, well, I kind of just purposely forgot about it. Right. right. I didn't want to be the guy to ruin the surprise for everybody. Yeah. But like when it comes to the haircut, there's little tips and tricks that we have to, to help us memorize, right? Okay. So something like, you know, when was your last haircut? If you say two, three weeks, I'll know how much has grown out. Okay. On average, yep. right? Yep. And, and nowadays haircuts are, I mean, most men are getting short haircuts. Yep. And so that's easy. Like, you know that it's going to be a, a zero on the sides or, or a bald fade on the sides, yep. right? Yeah. So do you have, I think I've asked you this before, like, do you recognize your own work? So like when I come in three and a half weeks later, you're like, oh yeah, I was the last person to do this just based off of my technique. So I kind of have my guidelines of where I want to go. What does that look like? I want to say yes, but nowadays because the, the level and the skill level is just so much higher f- across the board, yep. it's getting a little bit harder. Right. Um, but I definitely, there's definitely little things that I would do or, you know, so-and-so would do that separate us from other people. Yep. Um, so yeah, definitely. There's definitely a little... But it's always cool. Like guys will go on trips to like say across, you know, overseas 
and I'll encourage them to get a haircut. And yeah. A lot of them will be like, no, I'm not getting it. I mean, just go ahead. I'm it's, loyal to you, Andy. Well, it, it's it's, yeah. it's a totally different experience, so you might as well go ahead and try it out. True. And so they'll go, and I'll come back, and I'll comb through their hair for like two minutes. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm just, it's like a little roadmap, like a little puzzle. I get to see what they did that I've never thought about doing. Cool. Or I'm like, oh, I would never do that, right? Yeah. So it's actually really awesome. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's an art form in a lot Absolutely. of ways, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, it makes sense. Back to your career path. You've, you're you're working um, at, a, at a different salon. You find your way to, what was it, Million Hairs? Yeah, um, Million Hairs. And then you're working there building a client base. What came next for you? Because I want to talk about opening your own studio and starting Canvas. Tell me about that decision to start your own thing. I never really intended to open a studio or a hair salon. It just kind of became that way. And that makes it sometimes a little bit more difficult because I didn't mm-hmm. get into this to be like, hey, I'm going to own a, a massive salon someday. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to cut hair and I still do just want to cut hair. Mm-hmm. And so it became the point that when they said they were moving, I kind of had like a, like a one-week window, two-week window to be like, okay, I got to find a spot because... I don't want to move and then move again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, one of my clients, who is my landlord now, he had this, um, the location that I'm at now, yep. was once a tattoo artist. Right, yep. And so they were moving out, and, and the renovations wouldn't have been extensive. So I said, you know what, this is the perfect spot. There's free parking, which I didn't have downtown. Yep. So that was a big factor already. Huge factor. And then people had been coming to me from the basement. So they were, I mean, anything's better than a dog biting at your ankles. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, <laughs> the risk is totally out the window there. We're good. I feel gypped that I missed that part of the experience. It was it was pretty cool. I feel like you should have like a month long where you bring the dog back and just to give that experience to that's, anybody that That's when it. the lawsuits come in, yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. Sorry, keep going. No, and uh, I just, it was a no-brainer at that point because I said I have to open up a place. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just me at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it worked out really well. Like, yeah. um, it was a bigger, it was a big space. Like, mm-hmm. so, but it was comfortable. Like, I, I went and did a little bit of renovations and you just buy your equipment. And I mean, all, honestly, you don't need much. And that's the tough part about this business is for the men's stuff, you don't need much. Like you, sure. need, you need a mirror. Most of our stuff is cordless. Mm-hmm. And we wash hair out. A lot of places they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, no shade against them. But uh, if you didn't want a sink, you don't really need a sink. True. Yeah. So it, it's super, super minimal setup. Yeah, you see the stations, right? It's like a mirror. You have a chair. You have your carts. Is that what you would call it? A cart? Yeah, like we use um, toolboxes. Toolboxes. Right? Yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah. Yeah. So you don't need much. So right. You, it's not like these crazy salons where you have like these full on cabinetry setups, right? Like yeah. it's, it's very like basic. A, a waiting area pre COVID, maybe like something yeah. like that. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Before you made that jump, what kind of costs and risks did you have to take on when deciding whether or not to go out on your own? Well, the first thing was like, how am I going to do this seamlessly? Like, how am I going to move there and not be out of work for a while? Yeah. Um, so finding a booking software that would accommodate for that, that was not too bad. Mm-hmm. And then as for cost, it was just like, you know what, figure out. Um, and I take this from my parents too, because they shop around a lot. Yeah. So they, for, in, for instance, they could go to like a, a, a Pratt's or a GFS, but they still prefer going to Superstore, yep. going to Wholesale Club every day because they get to pick out fresh stuff. Mm-hmm. Usually you buy these big, big boxes of broccoli and half of them are bad. So so true. So they can go and just pick out each thing of broccoli by themselves, right? Yep, makes sense. Um, So for me, the same thing. I would just shop around. And you you build relationships with your suppliers, you know, your hair suppliers and stuff like that. And and they'll help you along the way. Yeah. And so back then, before we had kids, we would travel a little bit. And Mm -hmm. every time I'd go somewhere, I'd just go and hang out at barbershop. Yeah. So eventually you'd meet... um, other barbershop owners and they cool. would just, yeah, it was just call upon them and say, Hey, like 
where do I buy this or yeah. do I need this or do I need that? Right. Yeah. So you like build a community of support to help you with any oh, questions. It, it was yeah. amazing. Like you, when else can you just go somewhere and just go sit at a salon or a barbershop and just hang out there for a day? Totally. And so also now you have to like, a lease on a building like yeah that was a little scary lease was scary like that. I, I think at the time i was lucky because i'd been saving back to the whole agent they just save 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 sure. right so then i was like okay i can actually afford to buy some of this stuff without taking out a huge loan yeah and then once again you just build as alongside right i don't even have a sign yeah to this day i don't have a sign and that was part of the whole you don't have one i have a sticker on the oh window. it is a sticker yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like i swear i've seen canvas on a window before yeah. so so back to the whole streetwear thing of the early 2000s was a lot of these streetwear stores didn't have signs yeah. they didn't want public to go there they wanted people who knew yeah kind of like you know if you know you know right yeah the same thing with my shop is i don't really we're in the industrial like we're in the warehouse industrial area. i don't need there is no walk-ins right nobody's walking in my area yeah and so i kind of like the whole idea of like you know if, if you don't know what's there you don't know. And then you come in, it's like, oh, wow, this is actually a really nice place. Totally. Yep, true. Right? So yep. I, I always enjoyed that. So when I started up, there wasn't much in the shop. And mm-hmm. I just slowly added as, as time progressed. And then as more people came and worked there, yep. um, I slowly added more and more. And even yep. to this day, we're still adding and, and changing things, right? Yeah. Every time I'm there, it's cool. Like, you got that barber pole added yeah. in there. And it's still, like, painted black in there because it was, like, the tattoo artist, right? Like, you yeah. didn't have to repaint or anything. Which, even, like, it's been six years now, so I might actually do a little renovation soon. Yeah. So cool. maybe next time you come in, it'll be a different maybe, color. Maybe, for sure. Okay, let's pause right there for a minute. Andy isn't the only person who's intimidated by starting their own small business. I know I am. That's because there's so much risk, especially from the financial side, when taking on a venture like this. So to give you some financial solutions that are available for small businesses, I have a Connexus business advisor, Diana Miller, on the line. Take it away, Diana. Thanks, Mason. That's a very good question. First, I want to start off by saying that I always tell my clients there's two very important aspects when you're starting your business. First is to obtain a good accountant. There's so many points that an accountant can direct and support you with in terms of setting you and your business up. Up for success. Secondly, your business advisor. Don't leave your advisor to the end. Your advisor is there to support and guide you throughout this process. It's very important that you find an advisor who you're comfortable with and who you feel is a good fit in terms of knowledge, skill set, and who you feel has your best interest looked after. Typical needs for small businesses can vary and can include operating capital, equipment, leasehold improvements, or purchasing buildings. Typical financing requires a minimum of two to three years of business financials, depending on the financial institution you're dealing with. For newly formed businesses or small business who are newly established, they don't have these financials yet to obtain the financing needs that they have. This is where we would look to the Canadian Small Business Financing Program, which allows those businesses to use projections to obtain the financing needs they require. Thanks, Diana. Couldn't agree more about finding a business advisor that can help guide you through some pretty intimidating decisions. Now let's get back to our interview with Andy. Let's talk about what a typical day looks like for you because anybody that goes to you knows that you have a ton of clients. Um, A lot of people who come in, like we've talked about like Andrew Gottslieg comes in like once a week. Like a lot of people that are cycling in um, so on paper, you would say, you would think that like, oh, I would have to book like two months in advance in order to get my haircut in. But you, you cycle through people so quickly. 
and but you also spend that time and that care in order to give them a, a cut that they're proud of. So in order to make that happen, you have to work hard and have long days and long hours. So tell me a little bit about how or what a typical day looks like for you. Typical day, I'm up. Summertime is easy because the sun's up. So I'm up at like 5.36 in the morning. The kids are up early too. So I try to read a little bit. I sit in the sun. I try to read, sit on the couch. Yep. And then my first one starts at 7. So, yep. I'll, so yeah, I'll, I'll wake up. I'll do my water thing, make a smoothie, come to work. And then I start at around 7, 7 or 8, mm-hmm. depending on the day. And then I have like lunch at 11, keep working. And then I have another lunch at three, mm-hmm. keep working. And then I'm usually, I try to be home before 10. Yeah. So that's 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Something like that. With like, yeah. And your lunches, right? It's like a protein shake or something. Like it's very so, light, isn't it? So I have, I, I make my lunches on Monday. Yeah. Kendra makes my lunches on Monday. <laughs> she's, she's the best. Yeah. Um, I help her. Uh, <laughs> I just, she knows how to make the chicken. I just can't. Mine's so dry. You don't want to go back to Lungibles or anything like no, that? Gosh, yeah, no, gosh, yeah. no. So we do that on Mondays, and then I just, I have like a 15-minute lunch break. Yeah. 15 or 20-minute lunch break. Yeah. And twice a day. Yeah. And then I have a protein shake at like 7 o'clock at night. And I go, I usually try to go to the gym mm-hmm. um, after work. But I, I want to be through the door by 10. And lots of times your lunch break gets kind of eaten in in case people are showing up late and different things yeah, like that, that's, right? Yeah, that's whatever. That's okay. I can eat yeah. fast. And any hairdresser or barber would understand that you just kind of eat on the fly. Like if you yeah. have to eat a couple bites between a haircut, then go ahead. Totally. So uh, what I'm doing there is I'm just trying to show that like from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. you are on. Like you are, you're yeah. working. You're not just having, you're like, you're just constantly exposed to people. Like it's, that you, would be a lot. You kind of forget that you're there though, right? And people oftentimes like, how do you do that? And it's like, I didn't start by doing that. Mm-hmm. Like when I first started out, it was, it was shorter hours. And mm-hmm. eventually you just add and say, like, Hey, do you mind staying late? Add another one, then yeah. another one. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh wow. It's, I've been doing this for like how many years? Yeah. Right. But that's, so that's like a 15 hour day with very minimal breaks. And you're doing that how many days a week? We'll call it five and a half. Five and a half days yeah, a week. Five and a half. Like so that's it's not. I, d- I don't recommend it to anybody. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not. I don't sit there like boasting that I'm proud of it. Yeah. It's not like I don't spend much time with my kids. Right. So right. Someday that's definitely in the in the future works is to slow down a bit. Yeah. So, but that's a lot of hours. So that that leads into your work ethic, which I think we've kind of talked about how this has been influenced by your parents and different things like that. So how do you think that like a second generation immigrant that like that kind of kind of bringing this back as a, from a holistic level, how that impacted your work ethic? This is a tough one because I, I think immigrant families, there's, there's once again, two types of families. Mm-hmm. You have your working class and you have your scholarly class and then that can be broken down into more stuff, but we'll keep it simple. Sure. Basically, if you have a working class family, a lot of times they'll, they'll either want their kids to work in the business or completely out of it, like nothing to do with it. They want, a, uh, you know, and they obviously want a better life. Both sides want better lives for their families, right? Mm-hmm. But some will want them not there at all so they can study and, and do, assimilate and just study and, and learn and, you know, become scholarly or whatever it is. Yep. My parents wanted that as well, but we, we also worked at the restaurant. Yeah. And it depends. Like you take a lot away from it, right? Like I always refer Slumdog Millionaire as like this thing is, is if you can live your life and call upon your experiences and utilize them as tools and use them in the future, then you, you're always learning. Right. And so with them and their work ethic, it was just super easy to, to grow because you just saw how much they worked. Yeah. But you also learn to love what you do. Mm-hmm. You, you find the good in what, whatever it is that you're doing. Like there's obviously days where it's, it's, it's a long day and there's days yeah. where you're like, you know, I don't really want to be here, but 
someone sits in your chair and you have a conversation with them, a genuine conversation, and you're like, oh, this is great. True. And yeah, you just forget. You're seeing people that you have become like really closely tied to. Like I get paid to hang out with my friends all day. That's true. Yeah, like yeah. Every single person. And there's some there's some interesting people that sit down in my chair. Yeah. But I get to hear interesting things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so, I, as long as I don't mess the haircut up, which at this point it's it's become easier. Yeah. I just hang out. Yeah. And then there's guys who want really intricate haircuts. Then I get to do my artistic um, development. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I, I, all day I'm balanced out in that aspect, right? Yeah. yeah. You have to really love people in order to do what you do. Which is funny because I'm not a I'm not a big people guy. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a huge extrovert. Right. But when I'm working, I just you just forget. True. Right. Yeah. You have this like really cool energy about you where you're just like you're just like relaxed. And like, you're just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm just doing, doing my job. But then when you actually start talking to you, you're like, oh, he's a deep thinker. He is like very interested in people and is authentically interested in what you have to say. You're not just like sitting down being like, so the weather, what's it like today? Did the riders win last night? Things like that. Yeah. It's like, when else can you, like, there's so many people that sit in your chair from all different walks of life. Like Mm -hmm. I'm talking all different walks, good, bad, amazing and you get to experience all these things and they share everything with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what else can you do in life that you get to hear all these things? Yeah. And it's just, when I say different people, like literally different walks, like yeah. everything, I won't even get into it, but there there is all sorts of people that sit in my chair. Totally. And if you don't take the time to actually like um, dig into that a little bit, you're just wasting it. You're wasting it. So true. That's so true. And you also get integrated into like friend circles, for instance, like like my friend group all goes to you and you you talk to them we and then we talk over here like it's like you are almost hanging out with us in ways because then you can be like oh did you did you go to the stag or something right. like that like you you know like the inner workings and that, stuff like and that and that's a cool part too and I, I don't know if other people think like i do but it's like not only does that help you with business mm-hmm. because the whole group just eventually starts coming to you yeah but it's just like it's awesome because um like you were saying about memorizing things it's like it's so much easier to memorize when i have like you come in and yeah. then you give me like part of the conversation, then someone else in your group yeah. comes in and I get the next part of the conversation. So I actually know the conversation in total. Totally. Yeah. Right. So just everybody adds to the puzzle. Sure. And then you realize how small the world really is. Like so Regina is, everybody knows everybody. Oh, especially from a barber standpoint where like, I think like we've talked about, you were very early on in that like resurgence here in Regina people were like, where'd you get your haircut? Where'd you get your haircut? I want to go there. I want to go. Right. And so it makes sense that why there were like, like droves of people coming from the same kind of group because as these conversations are happening, they're all wanting to book with you. Right. So do you have to, knowing that it's, it's in high demand, do you have to turn away people quite a bit in order to like protect that, that core group or what does that look like? I've technically stopped taking new clients since like, I don't know, 2018, 2019 maybe. Yep. And obviously referrals I'll still accept based yep. on whoever it is. You know, it's like, Hey, my good friend wants to come see you. And well then absolutely. Right. Sure. But yeah, and that's the tough part about this business is that you can't say no to everybody, but you also can't say yes to everybody. Yeah. And so if, if I'm there that long every day, I want to spend it with people that I really enjoy, right? Yeah. Especially when you're sacrificing time with your kids. Yeah. yeah, and so like there is walk-in models where like you just strictly do walk-ins all day. Yeah. I just don't know if I'd really enjoy that. Yeah. Like I, I like the genuine conversations. I like, like some people I've seen them graduate elementary school, now high school and going into university. Yeah. Um, graduating high school, university, med school. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing that you're there through all these different things so in true. life, right? Yep. Weddings, births, everything. New right? relationships, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So you also, you have 
one person that currently works with you as well. Right. And so is that also a really good model to have when you have people that want to come to you and you say, uh, I'm currently busy at the moment, but I've like, I have an employee underneath me. He's, he's getting like just into the business a little bit. He like, why don't you come to him instead? I've trained him all that sort of stuff. And then you can kind of build your network further out that way. Is that, is that kind of a strategy behind it too? That's what I'm trying to build, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and it's still new to me, right? Like this is my first time running a, a true business. Yeah. Um, and ideally that'd be the goal, but it's weird because with this model, we all have our people. Yeah. And so eventually it's like, well, he's too busy. Yeah. Then, okay, well, I can't really send you to him because he's already full. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's this constant wheel of, you know, these two wheels like we were talking about before. Yeah. You have a wheel of clients and a wheel of um, uh, employees, staff, yeah. right? Yeah. Those two wheels need to kind of turn simultaneously. Yeah. So you have to keep the balance. It's that like supply versus demand yeah. without sacrificing quality, all that sort of stuff that goes into being a business owner. So tell me about some perspective that you have access to now as a young business owner that you didn't have prior to starting Canvas. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, there's things that we're scared of doing because of the intricacies of like planning and, you know, like taxes are scary, government's scary, yep. business licenses, all that, like permits and stuff, all that stuff is really scary. But if you actually sit down and just break it down into the basics of what you're trying to do, it's actually not that bad. Mm-hmm. It's like if you have an idea and you ha- and you have a, you know, a service or a product that you want to offer to the world, then just go do it. Yeah. And for me, it's like you don't need to take out massive loans. You don't need to do it. Like just start with a product or start with a service and then let it build from that, right? Yeah. We all want to grow here. Mm-hmm. And so people I find are generally pretty supportive of anything new that comes along the way. Yeah, that's true. As long as it's a good product, right? Yep. If you truly believe in your product and it's a good product or service, yep. I think for the most part, you'll do well. Totally. And that's how you build like by pairing that amazing customer service. People are so excited when they leave that they want to tell the world a little bit. And also this, I would say still emerging trend of barbership that like, barbership is that an actual term did i just make that up it is now it is now where you build this cult brand and you've been you've done such a great job of building a cult brand and that's like a marketing term for anybody that has like such fierce brand advocates for your business because like you don't see this a lot but like you like if i'm out with somebody and they're talking about their haircut i'm like oh where do you go and they're like i go to andy and i'm like oh i go to andy and like or if somebody's just like oh yeah i'm not really happy with my barber i'm just like I have a place for you. Right. Like that's, right. that is like the, what's so amazing about building a cult brand. And you've, you've done such a great job of cultivating these, this, this cult, we'll call it like this brand ambassadorship. Right. Um, that builds almost like a community base too. Tell me what you, if you were to boil that down, how you built this from, and you talked about how it, it was like a long-term thing. What would be like the, the recipe for that for you? I think just being genuine. Like when I, when I do what I do, I don't really, so, so there's a term I called and it's called clipper holders. Okay. So if you have to go to someone and you have to tell them exactly what you want, yeah. then all they are is just holding the clipper. Yeah. And this is very, this is very vague, but yeah. if you sit down in my chair, right. And, and, and I just take control and, and give you a look that, that you want, um, or essentially, you know, provide you with a look that will look nice on you that I think will look nice on you. As long as our, our, our looks are aligned. Yeah then I think it works out. But if, if I have my genuine interest in making you look good, then that's all taken care of, right? Yeah. And it's just it's just being genuine and offering a good service. Yep. Um, and so, like, 
sometimes you have to sacrifice a little bit of the business acumen or the business rules mm -hmm. to go out of your way to do something for somebody that will make them look good, right? Spending yep. a little bit more time, right? Ultimately, that pays off. You're also amazing at when you have people be like, oh my gosh, I actually have a date to go on or I have my brother's wedding I totally forgot to book. You're always that first person that says, Def, like I'll find I'll find a way to squeeze you. Well, in. here's the thing: like if you have to go to something, and this is every day in life, is if you have to go to something or you have to go to work, someone's gonna see your haircut totally. And if it's a, we'll call it a bad haircut, yeah, they're also gonna see that. But if it's a good haircut, they're gonna see that too. Yeah. And so you're literally a walking advertisement for me. True. Every single one of my clients is is, is an advertisement. It's, yeah. it's literally a walking billboard. So yeah. why would I not go out of my way to make sure that person looks good? Yeah. And especially if you have to potentially go somewhere else, mm -hmm. then it's like, well, I don't really want you walking around with a bad haircut. Or totally like it, from a mental health standpoint, when your hair is not up to date yeah. or like looking good, you feel like you're just a walking like schmuck for somebody to oh, like, yeah. just judge. You just feel so much better when you have a, yeah. a nice looking haircut. And like during COVID-19, when I couldn't get a haircut for months, I didn't even want to put my um, video call on. I didn't want to see anybody because I was just a mess. That was, that was a tough, yeah, that was, that was interesting. Tell There's me about this. Like that, there was a time where in at the start of this pandemic where you had to shut your doors. What was that like for you? Never once have I ever thought about just not working. Like it would be pretty catastrophic for me to not work. Like I'm just going to do some math here. You, you said you'd do like 15 hours a day, about 5.5 days a week that's 82 hours that you're working that now is freed up for you like what do you do with now it was crazy like I I at first I was like in panic mode and I said this is terrible like what am I gonna do mm -hmm. oh my god like the world's gonna end yeah and I just took a deep breath and I I was like you know what I should try to enjoy this a little bit because when else am I going to um have this or have breathe. this and yeah. Kendra might say differently because I was probably I was probably driving her nuts at home <laughs> sure. she's used to being home with the kids all day by herself yeah and so I was probably just the worst. And she's a stay-at-home mom, right? Yeah. And so well, she runs her little clothing company now. Sure. For toddlers. So she's busy with that alongside the children. But before but that, like during COVID. Oh, yeah. She's, yeah. yeah. So, so this, you, I was in her, I was just in her way and constantly. You were, the, you were bringing the income, yeah. right? So that goes away. Yeah. Like that would have been such a stressful time for you guys, I'm sure. Well, so I, I was like, I don't know how long this is going to last. This mm -hmm. is before they announced any phases, right? Like this, this was like Armageddon. Yeah. So I said, we need to start like selling things. We need to like start rationing our food. Like I was going like full right. on like uh, doomsday prepper mode, right? Yeah. She's like, you need to chill out. Get to the cellar. Yeah, she's like, you need to just yeah. calm down. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to calm down. Sure. But no, it was crazy because I'm just so used to working. Yeah. And so I just tried to enjoy my time at home. And looking back at it, life lesson is just like, just enjoy whatever comes your way because like you have to find the good in everything. And, and having two months off there was amazing. Like, yeah. It was almost like a sabbatical for me, right? Like I, yeah. I got to do some, like when else am I ever going to get that in my lifetime? That's so true. Like that was such a crazy time just from a, like what is an essential service? What's not an essential service? Are we going to yeah. be phase three in the role? Are we going to be phase four of, of bringing that back? So it's it's nice to look back and find the the good that came from it. Even like you were saying before with, you know, the financial stuff with being, um, coming from immigrant parents, it was like save, 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 save. Yeah. And so for once in my life, I was like, oh, wow, like this actually paid off. Yeah. I have a little bit of a, a rainy day fund that I can actually call yeah. on. Yeah. So oh. it was really nice. That's awesome. So let's tie this all together. So when you look back on your time, what do you think has been the biggest 
learning experience and biggest victory? Let's go since you've opened Canvas. I think if you really put your minds to anything, it's, it's possible. And that sounds so cliche, but really, if you try to do anything, it's possible. Like we all have the same amount of time in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, we all have access to all these different resources. And there's people around us that, that have so much insight into things. Yeah. Um, whether it's your parents or just, um, you know, professors at school, um, friends, like there's just, we have such a good community around us. Mm-hmm. And so if you really need anything done or you want to accomplish anything, it's, it's definitely possible. Yeah. Love that. Let's also tie in the first um, component of this conversation about being a second generation immigrant. You talked about how there's that pressure on you to, to not forget about your culture and make sure that that is still, you're carrying that forward. What does being a second generation immigrant mean to you? Right off the bat, hybrid. I think like you you have an opportunity to like you're kind of at a fork in the road and you have an opportunity to pick your path. Yeah. And some things you want to take with you and some things you might not want to take with you, but you'll replace those with new things. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really awesome because there are certain traditional values that I want to keep and that they hold dear to me. And other ones that I, you know, I'm like, you know, well, you know what? I don't think that makes sense in, in the Western culture. Yeah, I don't want the pierogies and cabbage rolls at <laughs> Christmas, even though they're delicious. Those yeah. are being replaced. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think it's just like, it's really, if you really take time to think about it, you can really build your own identity. Yeah. Which, you know, translates back to my my family now with my kids and my fiance, yeah. right? Is, is we can build um, our future. Yeah. And it's actually pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty special, actually, that you get to be able to build this with your family, as well as from a business standpoint, you get to take whether it is values from your heritage while you're learning like Western culture and being able to like kind of build your own communities at home, at work, and then be able to have your employees take that forward, do their own thing with that, take your family, take their own, do their own thing with that as well. Right. And you get to be like the forefront of, of, like, of developing that. Like this past Chinese New Year's, we were clean. We, so Mondays we go into the shop and we clean. We do a deep clean on Mondays. Okay. Um, we're all there because we're all busy with our clients all day. So we don't have much time to hang out. Mm-hmm. So Monday mornings are like our, we, we come in and clean. Sure. And uh, this year's Chinese New Year's, we were there cleaning. I think it was the three of us cleaning. And I had said, I, I can't sweep. Like we can't, I can't clean the shop. Yeah. And so Nick, Nick is, Nick is from here. And yeah. he's, why don't I sweep then? Yeah. I said, well, I guess you could because I'm not the one sweeping. Yeah. But you're the one. I mean, I yeah. guess you could. I, I, that's fine. Yeah. So it's just like running into these little things where it's like my tradition versus someone else's tradition. Yeah. So it's like, like. I guess you could sweep for me. I, I think that's fine. That'll still bring us good luck. Yeah, so like your morals was just like, no, I can, if I'm not the one sweeping, the luck will remain. Yeah, but if like, I don't see it, it's not, it's, it didn't really happen. <laughs> True, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so you talked about what you've learned since you've opened Canvas about like the community and anything's possible. I want to hear what you've learned about yourself since you started Canvas. Oh boy. Myself, I think balance is, is for me, I love working and I, I, you know, I think for me is learning to balance out the different hats I have to wear every day. Sure. Um, and even that comes back to campus as well is like we work in an environment where we're around people all the time. And even, you know, with, with myself and my staff is like, um, it's pretty close because we're, we're kind of on the same playing field. There's no hierarchy to it. Right. right. Like I, I don't often refer to myself as a business owner. I'm more so a barber than a business owner. Sure. And so it's learning to put on different hats throughout the day. Yeah. 
whether it's you know being a boss, a mentor, a friend, a coworker, a father, um, a father, a, a husband, partner, yeah, yep. partner. All these different hats, and it's um, that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that is, I think the biggest one is not making assumptions. Yeah. Um, one of my mentors told me that once is is anything that goes wrong in your life is usually because you assume something. So true. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's, it's always your fault. I said, what do you mean? This is not a good conversation. Yeah. Well, no, you assume things and that's what causes you trouble because you assume that person was thinking this or you assume that this was going to happen. You didn't put it out there. You didn't make it black and white. Yeah. You have to, you have to make rules. Mm. Right. And especially with business, it's like you can never assume someone's going to do something or you assume something's going to happen. You have to make sure that it's going to happen or you have to tell them this is how it's done. Right. Uh, that's awesome perspective. Just communicate. Otherwise you can't blame anybody but, but yourself. Oh, that's so true. Right. And even at home, like with, with Kendra, a lot of times it's like, you know, she assumes I'm going to do this or I'm assuming she's going to do this and yeah. something isn't done. It's like, well, you never told me. Or then you spin narratives in your head yeah. about like, oh, now she's mad at me, like blah, blah, blah. And then communication you is, and it festers into something else. Yeah. C- communication is so huge. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, love that. Okay. So last couple of questions before we jump into the speed round. Oh, no. If you could summarize what lies between, let's call it the intersection between your cultural heritage values and your westernized environment, how would you describe that intersection? I think it's exciting. And I think it's it's at the forefront of Canada right now. We're yeah. starting to see this multiculturalism, like true multiculturalism, where like we're actually starting to, you know, um, see real, we'll call it food, like food. We're actually seeing like real food now. Sure. Um, real celebrations, real tradition. Like there's a lot of weddings now, cultural weddings. Yep. All these different little things. There's so many examples out there, but we're starting to see the actual true um, identities come out for a lot of people and yeah. people are not afraid to share their identities anymore. So yeah. I think it's really exciting. Yeah. I, guess, I love that. I think it's just exciting. We're all going to be able to, exp- and if you want to experience these things, it's, it's right there. You don't have to travel across the world anymore. You can go to, um, you know, little, whatever little part of your city has yeah. that. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like that too. Like in terms of, um, from the westernized environment to before I would say, like 10 years ago before multi multiculturalism was like, was very prominent here in Saskatchewan. It was like when cultures and, and different parts of identities were, were being um, introduced, there was that part of judgment that you were so quick to jump yeah. in and assume like, and well, everybody was kind of shy too. Yeah. Like nobody, like everyone wanted to share, yeah. but not fully. Right. We were still kind of afraid. Sure. And then on both sides, cause we didn't know what to ask or what to poke Exactly. At. So now it just feels a little bit more authentic, still ways to go. Oh yeah, absolutely. But like, it feels like we're, we're getting there authentically. We're definitely a little bit slower in the prairies. Yeah. But, but I mean, of course, right? So I think it's I think it's really exciting. And if people are open to it, there's so much to see and learn. Totally. Especially for generations to come. How exciting will that be? Like they just grew up this way where yeah. it was just accepted right off the bat. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So what's next for Andy? Oh boy. Uh <laughs> oh boy. Honestly, I, I've been so busy working that I think the next I had this wild dream when I first started cutting hair. Um, my parents always got mad at me as a child because I would try all these things and I'd never stick with them. Sure. And and there's a term in Chinese that, um, you know, it's not a good thing, right? You want to stick through with whatever you do. But I, I realized that it wasn't my fault. It was just, I was just trying things to see if I liked them or not. Yeah. And most things I just didn't like. Right. Like math. 
yeah, math and yeah. piano. I remember I tried, I wanted to do piano. So like, you know what? This is smart. This will make me smarter. Sure. So we bought a piano, like a used piano. Okay. And I hated it. Like, yeah. like they, we bought it. I got it home. And the first lesson I was like, this is terrible. Yeah. And I didn't know how to tell my parents, like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So I, I went on and did it for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do something for, you know, when I found cutting hair, I was like, you know, I could do this for a long time. Yeah. And so I said, at least 10 years, um, I want to dedicate you know, my life or whatever to, to cutting hair and really investing myself into this career. And I said, when I turn 30, which will be in a year and a half, I want to sit down and figure out what I want to do next. Sure. Maybe I'll continue. I, I honestly don't know at this point, but yeah. utilizing the skills and the experience that I've learned, I want to grow and, and do something else. Yeah. Right? So anybody listening to this podcast that goes to you just like, fear just like went down the back of their spine and be like, he might not be here in a year and a half, but totally respect that. Like, no. And I don't know. Like it's, 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 it's one of those things where I feel like if I don't think about it, yeah, um, you might just be stuck there forever. Yeah. You could be 65 years old being like, I wasn't passionate about that when I was 35. Why did it continue yeah. doing it? And there's a, and there's a guilt to think in that way because mm-hmm. it's like, you have a really fantastic career. Um, and everybody around you is, is awesome for sure. Why would you want to ever, leave that but it's like there's more to life than what we found at 18 years old 17 years old yeah we should always be checking in with ourselves to see exactly you have to kind of like realign your goals and and plan for the future right yeah we have one shot at this thing like if you're not checking in like i said you could be on your deathbed and thinking i just wasted this part of my life just because i didn't have that conversation with myself earlier than exactly so i think i for me it'll be probably 10 years every 10 years i'm gonna have a nice healthy sit down conversation with myself. Yeah. Okay. Before we let you go, we have some speed round questions ready for you. I've been, I've been dreading this. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, lots of people get really afraid of these questions. I swear they're harmless and it's just a way for us to get to know you on a different level. So first question, you like tennis. Who's your favorite tennis player? Monfils. Oh, Gail Monfils. Yes. Oh, interesting. Tell me why. He just looks like he's having fun. Like I never played sports as a child. Yeah. So whenever I watch sports and I see someone having fun out there, like yeah. they're, they're laughing at themselves. They're like, Oh my God, I did that. Yeah. That's him. Right. Yeah. He's so, ath- so athletic yeah, and, and makes it's so authentic. Many- yeah. Like it's, 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 he's not like, Oh, I, I knew that was going to happen. It's like, no, that, that was a total fluke. Yeah. It's interesting too, because he like is so inconsistent and like yeah. commentators will be like, Oh, if he paid more attention to himself and like, like reined in his emotions and like he could be a top five player. Yeah, it's like it's that, like, no, that's not he's, him. He's having fun. Exactly. Like, leave the guy alone. Yeah. Love that. Good answer. Um, go to gym music. I'm all over the, so I'll have like crazy, crazy hip hop rap going yeah. or I'll do like Mariah Carey. Sure. Yeah. Avril Lavigne, like Green Day. <laughs> it's all over the place. Yeah. Well, especially like throughout the, the day, you always are listening to music. That's right? just it. We listen to so much music. So actually nowadays when I go to the gym, I don't play music at all yeah i don't use headphones there's yeah. a, there's a little bit of light music playing at the gym and i'll just listen to that makes sense which power ranger would you be i never watched much power rangers as a you child, didn't but, but i think i'd be the red one why why the red one red looks nice red looks nice <laughs> <laughs> means luck yeah, yeah exactly yeah, good yeah. fortune he's the leader good fortunes <laughs> awesome uh what do you wish you had more time for reading definitely yeah i, lo- I love reading but sure. it's just it's so time consuming it really is and but you can't do anything like you when you're reading you're you're literally just reading. You can't talk to anybody. You can't you can't scroll Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's probably what reading is for. But you don't even have time to let your mind wander because no. we've all been there where you've read two pages. And you're like, I didn't retain anything. I have to go. Back oh, I have to, to go story. back. I have to go back. Yeah. I read with my fingers now. Oh, do you? Yeah, like you just like follow along. You here. follow along. You have yeah. to. I think I can't remember who who had coined that term, but yeah. yeah, you just follow along, and it's so much easier. It's interesting too because as like kids, I remember like 
my finger would be like underneath to like teach me like right. how, it, but it focuses you. Yeah. This is a question you ask me anytime I'm in the chair um, when there's just like a lulled or conversation. I think it just strikes things back up. What's for lunch? Monday is the worst day for lunch because I have no idea what we're doing today. Lunchables? Hopefully not. <laughs> no. I don't know what Cabbage rolls, brokies, no. maybe. <laughs> That'll be a, it'll be a two-hour conversation of back and forth to Kendra as to what she wants to eat versus what I want to eat. Yeah. And then they'll say like, oh, I don't really care. And yeah, then you'll exactly. be like, let's do this. No. No, not that today. Yeah. I'm not feeling that today. Yeah. yeah it's Mondays. Sense. So uh, jury's still out on that one. Something you constantly have to sell people on or convince them about. Um, if you could play a theme song that started every time you walked into a room, what would it be? I like the one from The Office. Okay. It's just a, <laughs> like it's such the theme a, song? Yeah, it's such a happy tune. It's okay. just happy and like it's such an easy icebreaker. I think sure. That's a good one. <laughs> that's like an interesting like kind of brand that would have for you because it's kind of like a dopey kind of like. Yeah, I might need that for a door chime at the shop. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's get that instituted. That'll be the next thing that yeah. you have that I'll be like, oh, that's new. Um, last question for you, Andy. What connects us? I'm going to have to just go with community. Sure. Like, I, I think I'm a perfect testament of, like, the community around us and also, like, the microcosm of community within my business. Yeah. It's like, the people in the community. Like, there's so much that people have to offer yeah. as long as we go and try to dig deep into trying to find it, right? Like, everybody serves a purpose, and, and if you take the time to like nurture these relationships and be genuine, there's just so much that you can get in return. Yeah. So true. And in order to build a community, you have to have different cultures, you have to have different backgrounds, all that sort of stuff. So thank you so much for sharing your background as a second generation immigrant. It's so awesome to see how, how proud you are of that and how you kind of shape that with Western um, Western culture and being able to create your own kind of thing that you can, like I said, pass on to your family, any employees, anybody that kind of interacts with you. It's so interesting. It, I think anybody listening to this learned a ton from you today. So thanks for taking some time today. Thanks for having me. This has been fun for myself and it's been a learning experience for myself as well. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Right on. Well, that's it for a chat with Andy. And for this episode of the What Connects Us podcast, we'll be back in two weeks for our next episode. If you've taken value from this conversation, please do us a favor, hit that subscribe or follow button, leave a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and share the podcast with a friend or on social media. It makes a huge difference for us and helps us continue to tell these stories. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Let's connect then.